Hello? Are you there? Yeah, I, are you able to uh, hear me okay with not too much of a, a delay? I'm on a satellite phone here. Yeah, yeah, you sound fine. Um, I was just, I was expecting to hear from you a little later. Is there something going on? Yeah, well, uh, as you can probably hear, I'm outside here. I'm, um, I'm pretty deep in the woods, and I realized uh, about two hours ago that I'm not going to be able to get out of here uh, any place indoors or even, uh, or even someplace settled for, for a while. I'm, uh, I'm in, uh, I'm in southwest Germany. I'm, uh, Baden-Württemberg. It's, it's the Black Forest. Uh, out here, I've been hiking about four hours today, and I, I got a little bit turned around, a little bit lost. I got very enraged with myself for this predicament. So it's 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 night here. It's been full dark for about an hour. Got the headlamp on here. Um, the trail is very thin, and I've just I, I haven't been able to find a place to camp, and I, I don't know what's going to happen. So I thought I thought I'd call and just let you know. What's uh, going on? Um, not, not too cold, and uh, it's, I just got to find a big clear space to uh, to camp for the night and figure out basically where I am. Anyway, what brought you out there? Where are you out there traipsing around in the black forest of all places? Well, as as, as you well know, uh, last uh, last thing I was doing research on uh, was. Was, was the catacombs in Lyon, and that turned out so disastrously that I thought I had to, I had to get away. I'm kind of focusing now on a, a bit of a personal personal mission, I guess you'd call it. Um, I'm out here basically just to get away from from human beings and maybe get a little bit closer to the animal, animal realm. Um, when I was a teenager, when I was about 18 years old, I started having these inexplicable dreams that were never explained, uh, dreams in which animals would tear me apart from limb from limb. I don't know why they started, uh, and uh, they went on for about two or three years. Sometimes it was even neighborhood pets that would set upon me and attack me. And I realized at some point uh, that I had become unhealthily obsessed with the conundrum of of animals and uh, how they they seem to me at that age to possess this mysterious knowledge among themselves. They seem to know things and the fact that we could never and will never be able to communicate with them and understand them, they began to intimidate and it finally just, it finally just lifted. But still, the nightmares have come back from time to time, and I still have never stopped thinking about animals and, and the mysteries of them. And uh, when I look in their eyes, sometimes I just I find myself still riveted by this this strange barrier. Every time I read about some sort of mysterious animal behavior, it sends me back to that. So I'm out here on this this trail. I've been out here for three days, off and on. I just thought it would be good to get away from human beings and maybe finally feel like I'm establishing some sort of kinship with the, the animal world. It's not really it's not really happening so far, though. Now, why in particular the black forest? I mean, this seems to me such a such a loaded 
and symbolic destination. I mean, it, you know, it should be said that the Black Forest, uh, to those in this geographical area, is not an especially laden with significance. But I was talking to someone at a train station uh, and figuring out where to go, and we started talking about uh, about the region. And they happened to mention that just in the past year, there had been deaths, two hike, hiker deaths, uh, by an unusual circumstance. There were both cases of hikers being carried off by animals, or they were attempted to be carried off, carried off by animals. One was a giant owl uh, attempted to carry a hiker off and instead dropped the hiker uh, down a hillside. And the other was um, a giant hawk tried to carry off a hiker. And uh, apparently sustained, the hiker sustained some sort of injuries trying to fend it off. And uh, I said to myself, well, I think that may be a sign, and I'm going to confront my, I guess I, could, I will call it a fear. I will co confront my confoundment with the animal kingdom by going to the Black Forest. Um, I can sense, of course, animals in the woods now as I'm walking along here. Um, if I just stop and listen, the, the trees are alive, but I do know that all around me, all around me, thousands and thousands of creatures are sensing me, evaluating me, considering me every step I take, but they're not showing themselves. And again, the mystery of what is going through their small, primitive minds uh, is something I, I can't shake, though tonight I'm really just focused on putting one foot in front of the other. He moved to a rental house by the edge of the forest. After a troubled time, he was looking forward to the quiet, and it was quiet, but in a different way than he expected. It was a different kind. There were actually, he discovered, noises all around. There were insects humming and clicking and birds and owls and trees moaning and creaking and skittering things and the wind pushing the grass and sieving through it like dry flutes. He tried to adjust to the new environment to relax, but it was hard. Once the initial downshift began, the one-shoe drop of it, he waited for his nerves to stand down. The new sounds and the new dark, a more complete dark than he had known. He thought about moving again, but he couldn't really afford to, and besides, he was tired. He knew he didn't really have the strength. He knew he had to stay. He got the camera, he supposed, to soothe himself. If he could see what was there, which was surely just animals, large and small, he could accept his new home in a more complete way, and might become calmer. After some clumsy research, he ordered a trail camera and a salt lick, a heavy pinkish block. He took them to a clearing and wet his finger and raised it and tried to find downwind. He moved into the tree line in the direction of a nearby creek 
and placed the mineral block and fixed the camera at a measured height on a trunk. He spent time now after work in the evenings and sometimes in the mornings after sleep, reviewing images from the night before. He saw deer sauntering by, turning their white eyes toward the housing tree. There were raccoons and foxes and smaller things threading along through the ground cover, appearing as specks on a shifting floor. But soon he began to notice something. All the animals seemed unsettled, frightened of something just out of frame. Once he saw this, he couldn't back away. They would stop as if they heard, sensed a threat, or just hurtle by through the camera's range. He saw wolves, a mountain lion turn its head to look back. Rabbits froze and ran. He took to drinking earlier in the evening, decisively with purpose. He worried about his imagination. Was it finally just running wild, feeding on his heart? He had some pills, but he didn't want to take them. They made him sleepy, inalert. That next weekend, he went to the site. The seasons were turning and the dark was falling faster, and he felt scared and sad. But he wasn't prepared for what he saw. The camera was gone. The salt lick was still there and he could see little pits and grooves and spots where tongues had sculpted it up into little peaks, like a licking fire. Later on, when he dared, he looked. He expected nothing, there should be nothing to see, but he saw images from the same spot, the same trail and the same trees. The block was gone but he had removed it with some instinctual, sickening forethought. He sunk down further into himself, feeling foolish, resigned, like his arrogance was gaudy, crooked-seamed. The animals that night were shaking, blind, turning their white mirror eyes toward him, to him beyond his screen. A hot shame took his face, there was something he didn't understand here. Something wasn't right. But it had the upper hand. He couldn't change it. And to keep going, to survive in this place, he would have to learn to let it go. I think it's uh, fascinating that you are out there exploring some of these these questions because th there's been some things around this this topic on my mind too lately. I, I last year I was able to visit this natural history museum and I you know how occasionally when you go somewhere to you know like an art museum or some sort of you know museum experience where you don't really think you're interested in a particular you're as interested in a particular um, subject or exhibit um, over others. Like you think you kind of have this idea of where your priorities lie. But occasionally I'll find myself wandering over to something that I, I don't believe I'm really that interested in and I'm, I'm going to, you know, look at it, but kind of maybe not linger for as long as I would in other areas. 
like in an art museum, I, uh, the, the last time I was able, I was able to, uh, explore a very expansive one. I found myself looking at the pieces of silver, which just hasn't been a, you know, an object, uh, that has, you know, or, or a process or an art that has particularly fascinated me or even possibly crossed my mind much in my life. But I found that the, uh, those pieces were that day what I was most drawn to and ended up spending the most time around them. And they really just made me think su- surprising things. I, I w- it was similar to that when I went to this natural history museum. Um, I found that I, I was very struck by a certain area, which is the, um, the, the ungulates. Do you know these creatures? This is a grouping. It's actually quite a bizarre grouping. They have grinding teeth and hooves. And they're sort of grouped widely into odd-toed odd and even-toed. And, you know, but it doesn't... It also extends to marine life, like dolphins and whales. And and I've never, you know, <laughs> they seem to be, especially deer, you know, elk. I, they seem to be, at least in the area where I grew up, a, a common sight. Something about that combination of traits. I, it, it hit a chord in me. And after a lot of thought, uh, you know, just this, the, well, first of all, the word ungulate, I find very beautiful. I, I think it's because it's just so reminiscent of undulate. Um, I just find it very guttural and physical to, <laughs> to utter. I thought about what in our human lore, uh, what do hooves and grinding teeth and horns equal. It's definitely taking you right to a Satan or devilish figure. And then, um, so of course that just presented all kinds of threads, you know, to follow. So I went from that idea, the hoofed, uh, the hoofed creature, hoofed horned creature. Um, and then I, you know, I was looking into the satanic trinity, um, it's sort of the devil's version of the Holy Trinity, which is the anti-God, the antichrist, and the anti-spirits, right? The dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. And again, I, I don't know where this is going yet, but I'm finding some very interesting and provocative just lines of text. You know, um, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns. Um, Let's see, the, and this goes right to what you were saying about, you know, listening for sounds out there. Um, because this is, especially in the dark, especially when our visibility is limited, like when we're surrounded by trees. Um, sound is one of, the, one of the most powerful ways to navigate and to keep us out of danger. And, um, you know, there's this great, the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies. And anyway, I just... I just feel like there's all of these great kind of snippets to uh, to rabbit hole into. And so that, you know, taking it back a few steps, this idea of yeah, animal behavior. Um, I've been thinking a lot about that. You know, when we as human creatures <laughs> encounter uh, some kind of an action or 
something that we don't understand or something that seems uh, kind of out of context, it's a really helpless feeling, isn't it? It's confused. I think elementally it's because we recognize it as being a communication, like some kind of communication, a gesture, even if it's in a passive sense. And our ability, our, our inability to like decode it, that can be frightening because that, that failure to interpret that communication um, makes us very vulnerable. Basically, it comes down to our very survival is dependent on, on interpreting that message or figuring out the behavior and what it means. Uh, and for me, uh, it was always, of course, the bigger animals that were scary to me as a kid. But I tell you, remembering a story, uh, a few years ago, I was, I was on a train, and uh, in the dining car, they, uh, they had us all sitting uh, with you know, random people. One of them was a, a congressman, and uh, he and I got to talking about odd experiences. And I told him that what, what I do. He told me this story. One day he was walking um, he was walking through a cemetery near his house. And uh, along one of the little thin little paths, he looked down and on the ground there was a sort of uh, black mass uh, kind of moving along the ground very low, maybe three feet by three feet. It was coming, coming towards him. And he stopped. He was like, what is this? And it's this little weird mass got closer he realized what he was looking at it was a massive massive army of black ants enormous coming towards him and uh, he stepped aside into the grass and he realized that the ants were not uh, interested to him but he was still quite unnerved by just the sheer size of their numbers and then he, when he looked closer as, as this army went past, skittering along, he saw that in its center, the, the army was carrying something aloft, you know, supported on all these thousands upon thousands of tiny bodies in the grass. And when he looked very closely, he saw. He said it was. A, he said it was a, a baby shoe. A very tiny little baby shoe carried aloft by this this army, and, and it went past it paying him no heed. What did they believe this thing to be? What use was it going to have when it reached some sort of unknowable colony? And I think about that conversation I had with him. And I thought, you know, the, the tinier the creature, sometimes the more mysterious it is. Uh, the fact that some creatures you can't even look, look into their eyes because they're so tiny. And, you know, actually... You know, I'm stopped here on the on the trail. Are you? Are you? Let me hold my phone up here. Are you, are you hearing anything? Do you hear that? She worked all night, or she was back to working all night. A little starved and anxious from a commission. That is, she had just worked on one for weeks, delivered it, and followed the requests, the rules. Not that she minded that. 
In fact, she liked it, that challenge. And for delivering it, she got some money, so that relaxed her. After those kinds of projects, she was hot to get back to her own work. Her shiny time was in front of her, like a stinging silver. She threw into a new sculpture with a scary devotion. The object, it was a mystery of what it was becoming. She hardly had anything to do with it. But it was already taller than her, limbic, fighting for space, for form. Her appetite flew. She took many breaks, pacing restlessly by the windows. One night, she sat in her favorite chair, the one that rocked, and pushed herself back and forth with the ball of one foot and curling her other leg underneath her. She stared out at the dark of the backyard and beyond it to the tall pines with their leaking turpentine sap and the undergrowth, Jacob's Ladder, wild geranium, mayapple. And since her hide lamp glowed behind her, she could see her shadow swaying strangely on the glass. She saw eyes, dozens of them, and some movement in the leaves. And then something happened. As if in a dream, animals, tall and short, craving meat or fish or lilies or eggs, stepped carefully out into the edge of the grass. There were deer and a big silver cat and a skulk of foxes and a mash of turkeys and small round birds like quail jerking their heads. She thought there was, moving slowest out of the shadows, a round-backed bear. Her breath hitched on something solid in her chest. How much had she drank? Smoked? She couldn't take it in, break it down into smaller, more comprehensible parts. They stayed until dawn. The next two nights they came. She had taken, in what was maybe a deranged continuum, to working on the figure again, for too many reasons to explain. On the third night, she made a decision. This next step, she felt, might be hers to make. She sucked and spit some quick breaths like a boxer. Mindful of her posture, she stormed outside to the yard. The door sniffed behind her. Can I help you? She shouted to the line of them, the room they made. She saw the eyes ringing the trees. They were everywhere. She pressed her chin out front and followed it, taking several long strides toward them. She moved toward the eyes, all different heights. God, what was happening? Can I help you? She saw them there. She had seen their steps in the grass and their kills in the woods, their bumptious, scraping tracks. In the blinking silence, in the new snow, stealthy as bees. 
But something was unnatural here. Upside down. Can I? Suddenly she saw. They weren't afraid of her, weren't frightened, angered, concerned. She had no effect. She thought, in a staggering oxygen rush of blood and cold, sharp nerves, that it wasn't about her. They hadn't come for that. That she had misunderstood. Suddenly, she saw their eyes were fixed past her, behind her, to the windows of the house. She turned. The sculpture, in silhouette, cast a great and wild shape. It had, under her hands, become demanding, dark, and frightening. With the animals, their ring of eyes, she turned and, really seeing it for the first time, it was a thing of horrid power. Like a nightmare lover. The kind that called for teeth and screams. Monday, 5.23 a.m. Jogger, taking a frequent route through Marianas Park, follows the curling path by the train sculpture, where it approaches the river. Jogger reports seeing a buffalo standing silently on the grass against the backdrop of the city in the gray, creeping dawn. A beast out of water. Tuesday, 8.47 p.m. A couple has a fight in a seven-story apartment building on Infinity Street. One person storms out and starts running headlong down the stairs. The other follows outside to the dead end of the fenced back parking lot. So first one, then the other, upset and in a raw state of mind, reports a shocking and unexpected sight. By the chain fence, behind the broken green rusting of the dead cars, a zebra emerged. It seemed nervous, she said. I think it was trying to eat clumps of weeds. She looked at him. We stopped fighting then, he said, like it was the point. Wednesday, 1.54 p.m. After lunch is the most difficult and indistinct time of day for many people, one of them being Eric Hades, a sound artist who by day works in a local suburban bank. Because while the mornings are bright and full of promise, the afternoon means it's the longest time until the day is done, the longest stretch. The blood slows, pools. During a trip to the grocery store for cheese and headache pills and salt, he reports that upon exit and the return to his car, a giraffe galloped, majestic and razor-tall, through the hedgerows by the steep and rumbling ramp down to the highway. Thursday, 3.12 a.m. The reservoir gleams. It gives off a scent like damp cloth, a tarp over leaves. The hydro park is a place she likes to go, used to like to go. She scares herself there as she sits on the soaked grass, speedy, alone. She says she saw a great 
shining shape appear from the dark of a cement pipe housing. She shut her eyes and pressed her palms over the sockets. When the stars went away, she says she saw it moving slowly along the water's paling. A great rhinoceros, horn like a scythe. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. This continues in the cities all around the land. The ungulates, a clade of mammals, even-toed and odd, includes the fossils of some primitive sub-ungulates and some cetacean or marine life. It has most recently and commonly come to mean a hoofed mammal with grinding teeth. I'm going to be honest here, I'd, I'd, wandered, off. I'd wandered down the trail further. I mean, I was sitting at my, my tent and then I, uh, I got curious about a bend up ahead. Now I've I've turned it, and um, yeah, I, I have this headlamp. Um, hold, you, hold, hold on just one second. I want to actually check. Sure. I thought I saw something up ahead on this trail. And, um, yeah, this is, um, this is very strange. Well, there's something sitting here in the middle of the trail. It's... It's a cage. It is a. It's about six feet long and about three feet high. This is an enormous thing. I don't know how it got out here, but uh, I mean, there's nothing inside it at all. There's nothing like luring anything in. And the, uh, the wire door is is, is open, um, and I don't know. And it's impossible to tell if this is like. A, was meant to draw something in, or something was inside that has since left or been allowed to leave. It's it's kind of perched, perched on a bit of uh, a bit of bedrock, facing the trail. I'm kind of, you know, I'm not getting like an odor or anything. I'm just, yeah. I guess the question is, how did who? <laughs> I mean, I have seen a total of four hikers in the last three days. Um, there's just nobody out here, and I, I don't know why this, this cage is here. Uh, looks, you know, can tell it's fairly stout. Have I lost you? Are you there still? No, I'm here. Yeah, I, I think I'll probably just be moving on. Um, uh... I'm going to just keep going.